Labor Day weekend. Say it was one year ago this Sunday that we began our series in the book of Acts. Uh, we just move so fast, don't we? So fast. Well, I want to, as you're turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, we're going to be today considering verse 25 down through verse 40, is to take a look at some pictures that appear on the screen that help us to put in context what it was that we were considering last week. The Apostle Paul had made his way into Philippi. It was the Macedonian call. As he made his way in, he had led a woman by the name of Philippi to faith in Jesus Christ, a woman by the name of Lydia. And from there, he made his way back into Philippi where he would encounter a slave girl. And this slave girl was demonized. And the evidence of her demonization was her fortune-telling. Paul recognized that she was demonized, cast the demon out, impacted her owners. They had put all their eggs in one basket. That was their means, evidently, of high levels of income in that region. And so he was thrown into prison. Here is the setting, Philippi, Roman colony. You can read about it in your insert this morning. Romanized within the setting of Greece. Retired soldiers present, walking the streets, maybe still in their military garb. But as he would walk the streets, he would also be conscious of the agora. The agora is, well, it's in the upper portion of your of the picture that appears on the screen, and for a close-up, look at what comes next, because here is what it would have been like, and if you and I are walking the streets of Philippi, and again, my, my tour guide, her name is Rainy, and she had degrees in archaeology and ancient Greek history. She also was an Orthodox Greek when it came to her Christian faith, and she knew her New Testament in Greek, and so she would be reading portions to you and portions to me, including what would appear in the text that we're looking at this morning. As you and I are standing there, we're pondering then the significance of this. Open-air evangelism, right out there in the streets. He found a strategic place to be able to tell others about Jesus Christ. Look for your strategic places to tell others about Jesus Christ. Connecting points to where people are at through technology today, meeting places, and the likes. He found a strategic place to be able to communicate the gospel. And so we're doing that this morning, those that are here physically, as well as through our live stream this hour, and all those that will be watching on YouTube in subsequent days. We're pondering, we're processing what Paul has done. He has strategically placed himself to be able to communicate effectively changeless truths in changing times. With that in mind, then, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. He's been flogged. He and Silas have been incarcerated. They've been thrown into a prison, a Romanized prison in a Greek city. They've been fastened, their feet are in stocks, as we noted at the end of last week in verse 24, which would have meant in a Romanized jail situation, you would have been in the upright position. Not going to be able to sleep at night, 
which will now explain what's about to take place next. We pick it up now in verse 25. And the writer is Luke the physician. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens these words. That about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was this great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. (coughs) When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out, he cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the very, that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates, they sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. When the police reported these words to the magistrates, they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, apologized to them, And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So we're going to be looking at these verses penned by the physician Luke and see how what was penned in what would have probably been A.D. 60, while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, has direct implications for 2020 living today. Let's look to our Lord together in prayer. Father, thanking you now. 
You are the sovereign God, triune, three in one. You are the one who is Lord of all. You are sovereign over time. You are past, present, future, all in the present tense. You look into time while standing outside of time, though you sent Jesus into time, when in the fullness of time, uh, Paul would write, you sent forth your son. So, Father, what we're asking now is we take timeless truths and communicate in timely ways. You know the needs that are in first service, the needs in second service, the needs of live stream, those that will be watching YouTube over the course of the days to come. A larger congregation, large hearts, but they've got a sovereign, infinite, eternal, unchangeable God to allow for his truths to be fit into these hearts of ours. So, Father, you know these hearts. You know what keeps us awake at night. You know the struggles we face. You know the weight upon shoulders. You know the restless of spirit. You know, Father, what's necessary to speak to the soul. Speak to the souls today. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. And we're praying these things till again now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've continued your journey with me, haven't you? We're in Greece. And now we're making our way to a place known as Paul's prison. Look what appears now on the screen. This is the setting that perhaps Rainy now is whispering to your ear with her Greek New Testament open. This is where Paul was. You inch closer. You look carefully. You look into the depths of it. You ponder that door that's there. And you look at me, you say, can we get closer yet? I say, yeah, look at the next screen. Let's get a little closer. And so now we look down into this prison cell in Philippi, a Roman jail in a Greek setting. But then again, you've got to bear in mind that as great as Greece once was, it was overtaken by Rome. And now here is Paul, and he's held captive. I look at you, you look at me, and Rainy is studying our eyes. And I whisper, you know something? When Paul was incarcerated here in A.D. 50, ten years later, he would write to the Philippian church while incarcerated in Rome, A.D. 60. Here, then, is a story of incarceration. This is the unfolding drama of people whose rights have been restrained. But even though Paul's rights have been restrained, his responsibilities remain intact. He's got something to say. He's got something to share. And though he might be confined physically, he's not going to be confined evangelistically. He's going to communicate changeless truths in these changing times. 
And as he does so, he's got to bear in mind he's going to have to remain flexible. Flexible strategies for fluid times. And find new ways to be able to communicate what matters most in life. Now, you and I are positioned in the COVID era. People feel confined. People feel restrained. People feel limited. How do you find perspective and where do you draw insights to be able to communicate, let alone function effectively, in days of restraint? But then you look at Paul. He's got a song in the night. He's got a lesson to share. He's got an example to provide. So what I want to do with you now, with that prison story right before us, and we, our feet are right there, positioned for us to be able to look down upon the setting where he was incarcerated, he and Silas, because they had been sharing the gospel, and he had cast out the demon, and that demonized young lady who was giving evidence of it through fortune-telling, and now the owners of that young lady, they've lost their profit, She was set free, but Paul is incarcerated. Those around him think they're set free, but all the paradoxes of the story. What I want to do with you now is to draw three observations found in this well-known classic passage, the first out of verses 29 through 30. We're going to put it like this. That when God interrupts the circumstances of your life, my life, of life, note first of all the profound questions, unbelievers, whether they be religious or secularist, might be asking. They've got questions. Just as the jailer would have questions in that time in which Paul lived, You and I are going to be bumping into people who've got questions with regard to what's going on with social unrest, what's going on with medical matters as it pertains to politicized matters, and how do we understand this time period where there seems to be perhaps restrictiveness placed upon our lives? They've got questions. God's got answers. When God interrupts the circumstances of your life, my life, Life. Note, first of all, the profound questions, unbelievers, secularists, religionists, they might be asking, you pick it up with me now, don't you? You're in verse 25. It's about midnight. They can't sleep. When you do studies of Roman history, what you'll find is that the Roman cells were such that you would be positioned when you are in the inner portion of the cell with your arms, your hands, and your feet in stockings, and you would be positioned in an upright state. You don't sleep. What do you do? Here's what Paul and Silas did. Paul and Silas were praying. Paul and Silas were singing. What that tells you and tells me then is that our attitudes are not to be shaped by our circumstances. Our attitudes are not to be governed by when things don't go right in our world and we feel overly restricted. 
Notice that though they are limited physically, they are unlimited when it comes to matters of praise because their inwards are governing their outwards rather than vice versa, you see. What are they singing, you ask? Well, you see, in that time period, they would be singing psalms. In typical Middle Eastern fashion, they would be highly expressive, except that they're bound, you see. Uh, They're bound physically, but not musically. And as they sing, singing hymns to God, very possibly from Psalm 140 through Psalm 143, they'd be singing in such a way that these psalms would have been memorized internalized and now vocalized. No lyrics to be found, but truths upon the hearts. Memorize scripture. Memorize psalms. And in times of confinement, allow the internals to govern the externals rather than vice versa. And as they're singing to God, notice this. You're still in 35, 25, the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, worship produces witness. Witness is a byproduct of worship. Witness is given evidence of the sovereignty of God through worship. And now these prisoners, who are also in the inner recesses, perhaps they've committed capital punishment, uh, crimes against the Roman Empire, and they're there as well. you got a captive audience, don't you? They're listening. And they're probably wondering, where does a Paul, where does a Silas gain such joy? And how are they able to sing in such circumstances? And how do you go about functioning effectively when you feel so limited physically? Ever been there? What limitations, restraints have been placed upon your life, job-wise, ministry-wise, medically, in recent days? What's your attitude? I'm standing off to the side. For a year and a half, I'd been interim superintendent of the Forest Lakes District, Evangelical Free Church of America, more than happy to pass the baton to the newly elected superintendent, Dr. Ken Mobig. I'd asked a very gifted young pastor of worship to lead as pastors had gathered together to be able to ponder what God was doing in Wisconsin and upper state Michigan. This gifted young worship pastor had a story that few knew. His wife had passed away. They'd only been married roughly a year and a half, two years. I'm watching him carefully. The wounds are fresh. The emotions are raw. I've got an eye on him. My role is to be pastor to the pastors. He begins to sing. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name 
Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, and blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Oh, Lord, blessed be your name. God, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose, not feel, choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At that moment, few knew his story. But can you imagine the audience in heaven listening in? He wasn't drawing attention to his life experiences. He was drawing attention to the Lord over his experiences. Do you? When life seems so limiting, salvation is so freeing. Witness is the byproduct of worship. The prisoners are listening in to this worship service. They're gripped. You're up to verse 26. Suddenly, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. That's how bad they were singing. Notice the timing. Immediately all the doors were opened. All the doors, not some of them. Furthermore, everyone's hands were unfastened. Not some of them. A moment of freedom. What do you do in your moment of freedom? And truly, who is incarcerated? And truly, who is free in such times as these? Questions. We need answers. Paul had written to the Philippians 10 years later while he was incarcerated in Rome. For not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger Abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Even sing in the night. And that's what Elihu had challenged Job in Job 35, verse 10. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Do you have a song in the night? even when the day looks heavy, which you're about to face. 
Paul's got a song in the night. He's learned how to be content in all circumstances. And when he would write to the Philippians 10 years later, they would nod their heads, been there, seen it, heard it. He's speaking autobiographically. It resonates. He was in prison here. Now he's in prison there. And if he can express joy in the Lord under such circumstances, what does that say to us? And likewise, for those that are grappling with a COVID era, such as we're in, you're up to verse 27. And when the jailer woke, saw that the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And you say, Gary, why? And the reason is, when you study Roman history, the jailer was responsible for those who had committed capital crimes against the Roman empire. And if a prisoner escaped, the jailer's life would be forfeited. He would be put on trial and condemned to die. So the jailer figures, I'm going to get a head start. I'm going to take my own life, which was sometimes viewed in that that secular culture as a noble thing to do. But you see, God is the God of life. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. Can you imagine? Now, some of the prisoners would have probably been there because they were afraid. Because, after all, we are in a Roman colony, and what would the soldiers do out in the streets with an escaped prisoner? But is it possible that they've been so overwhelmed with the witness that comes from worship that Paul had demonstrated that his internals were greater than his externals? which is exactly what Chuck Colson was confronted with in the Garcia Moreno prison that you can read about in How Now Shall We Live. As Jorge Crespo had brought him into Pavilion C, Crespo presented with a wide smile. Colson writes, Yes, Jorge Crespo was quick to point out that Pavilion C was only a a stop on the way, a place of preparation. The ultimate destination was Casa de Sablo, which was St. Paul's house, so named because of Paul's imprisonment in the Philippian jail of Acts 16. Why, this was a prison wing for those who had received into full Christian fellowship and who ministered to the rest of the prisoners. And Crespo hustled us in to see what was here. Colson goes on to write pictures of Jesus Christ and other religious symbols were everywhere. And momentarily, we forgot that we were in a prison. In fact, it wasn't called a prison, but it was nicknamed the home. And it was populated not by prisoners, but what they referred to as the residence. We were led into the meeting room, dominated by a huge mural, painted across the main wall by the prisoners themselves depicting the emerging freedom of life in Christ. On the left, a ragged figure huddled in blue shadow of despair. Next figure, 
turned to the rising sun, and next traveled toward it. Finally, a finger, a figure lifted his hand to heaven in praise of his creator, and the men in this room knew exactly what those symbols meant, you see. For once they had been just like the men in the detainees pavilion, without hope. But here, these men were new creations in Christ. And as we worshiped together, several men gave stirring testimonies. Coming to this prison is the best thing that ever happened to me, said one man who had a high-ranking operator in a drug cartel. I found Jesus here. I don't care if I ever leave. I just want others to know that this place is not the end. There's hope. God can change us, even here, especially here. And now Paul is going to say to the jailer who's about to take his life, There's hope here, even here. Now, he was freed. He could have left that setting. But as Chuck Colson will oftentimes put it, when it comes to matters of Christian liberty, be willing to limit your liberty with love where it's necessary. He was free, but he limits his liberty at this point because there is opportunity that is given to him in the form of responsibility. The jailer calls out for lights. You're in 29. Rushed in. He's trembling. With fear, he falls down, fell down before Paul and Silas. Isn't it interesting? All the prisoners are there, but he knew which ones he was going to fall down before. It's very clear that Paul's had impact. Silas has had impact. And even in this COVID era, you can be a person of impact. Online, in person, and now... You notice that first observation? The profound questions unbelievers might be asking. Might be a religious unbeliever. Might be a secular unbeliever. But people have intelligent questions. And we want an intelligent congregation, in present or online, live stream YouTube, that can answer intelligent questions with intelligent answers. This man... He brought them out into what's known as the Agora, most likely. You've been walking the Agora with me there in Greece. And he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What you and I find is that in times of crises, when life is interrupted, when the circumstances of life are no longer status quo, and when people have profound questions, you have been given yourself 
what I call a conversational on-ramp. This man has allowed him to immediately get on the on-ramp into the express lane of conversation with this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Had Paul fled, he would never have been able to give this man the answer. When John Bunyan, who was incarcerated in Great Britain, was given opportunity to go free, being told all he had to do was to make one promise, he must agree not to share the gospel anymore. Bunyan replied, if I was out of prison today, I would share the gospel again tomorrow by the help of my Lord and Savior and Jesus Christ. The shades of Paul and a jailer. Bunyan had a, a jailer who loved John Bunyan so much that he would at night allow Bunyan to leave the prison in order to share the gospel as long as he would return at the end of the evening. And Bunyan did. He was incarcerated for 12 years. And you think COVID has lasted a long time. Do you see what we're saying here? What God is doing is giving people opportunity to say, instead of feeling as though my rights are being restrained and limited, my opportunities, my responsibilities are unlimited. I just find new vehicles to be able to communicate changeless truths in changing times. Oh, yeah. He's asked the question. You've got the answer. Because the second observation gets unpacked in 31 through 34. That second of all, when God interrupts the circumstances of life, you note not only the profound questions unbelievers might be asking, but secondly, the essential answers believers should be providing. Check out 31. He's now in the express lane. He's not going to spend time in the local. The Apostle Paul cuts to the chase. Paul and Silas together. Believe in the Lord Jesus. They say. You'll be saved. What does that entail? First, to believe in who Jesus claimed to be. The Apostle John wrote, These have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And three days later, the resurrection gives attestation to that truth. But second, it means to believe in what Jesus did. Paul stated it this way regarding the work of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he would write to the Romans, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 
For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And this teaching on salvation was not meant not only for the jailer's ears, but for the entire household. He's talking about what matters most. And in times of crises, when people are beginning to ask questions they previously never asked, get in the express lane. Be succinct. And then look for added opportunity. Traffic slows in verse 32. You can shift into the right lanes. You can get into the local lanes. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. What I want you to see here are evidences of salvation it took. Those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A legitimate question I ask is, why didn't God just take me home as soon as I was saved? It's a good question, but God left you here to tell others about Jesus. And so, you see, when there is a limitation upon rights, there is still the fulfillment of responsibilities. Paul Paul was incarcerated at one point. The jailer was free. Next breath, Paul's free, but that jailer was incarcerated internally, not externally. But now he's freed. See the extraordinary paradoxes in this story? And so the evidences of salvation are here. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once. He and all his family brought them up into his house and set food before them. Now, if you study Roman history, what you will know is that one is given a slice of bread once a day in the evening hour, and that is your meal. But now, there's some home cooking happening here. This is unheard of. The jailer has brought these men into his home. And now true Christian hospitality is unfolding in our very, before our very eyes as he set food before them and then signs of salvation. He rejoiced along with the entire household, you see. Everybody is rejoicing. Because salvation has been experienced. He's believed in God. He's put faith and trust in Jesus. Have you? Check out the evidence. You're an intelligent person. You deserve intelligent answers. They're to be found. Live stream, YouTube, in person. Check it out. Because now we're up to our third observation. That when God interrupts the circumstances of life, I want you to note thirdly with me the surprising strategies that God might be using. And this gets good. Stay with me. 
When it was day, the magistrates sent the police. It's kind of like the judicial system. And they would be positioned at the edge of the agora. And they're saying, let these men go. Well, the jailer figures, well, now this is probably God at work, and this is Paul's opportunity to leave. So the jailer reported the words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, and therefore come out now. Go in peace. And Paul is saying, you're at verse 37, not so fast. Not so fast. This gets good. Paul said to them, notice to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and all at once you could almost hear the gasp. Maybe he wasn't wearing his toga. A Jew who's a Roman citizen? See how God put, you, put Paul together? A Jew trained by a rabbi who could understand Greek, who's a Roman citizen? Don't underestimate how God created you. You're special. You've got your own mix, your own background, your own experiences. Use it. Don't waste it. Invest it. But you see, in Rome, there's what's known as Julian Law. And Julian Law forbids the beating of Roman citizens without due process of law. There has not been due process. And now Paul is allowing for the entire public to know there has not been due process. And now the entire Romanized colony is going to be looking at one another asking, can we trust these magistrates? This is one of the great reversals when God breaks in. And so now he says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. They, they beat us publicly. Now they can take us out publicly. What's he doing? He is protecting this fledgling church who might otherwise have faced similar floggings, similar beatings, similar threats. But now what we find is that God is sovereign and the magistrates are not. And these young Philippian believers get a chance to process what's unfolding. Let them come themselves, take us out, and do it publicly. So the police reported these words to the magistrates who were then afraid because now they would be put on trial because the legal system has done something unlegal. Shades of what Christ faced when they heard they were Roman citizens. And 10 years later, while incarcerated in Rome, 
as the people in Philippi recall that time when Paul was incarcerated there, Paul would write to them in AD 60, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. <coughs> and now what you and I find is that there's lowercase citizenship, there's uppercase citizenship, just as there's lowercase authority and uppercase authority. And now what Paul has done is demonstrate extraordinarily how to be able to handle such challenges when your circumstances are being limited. This is good. Now Paul could have easily said, why did you let this happen to me? Instead, why not let this happen to me? Because now I've got opportunities I never had before. You won't believe how many live stream impact moments are occurring because of COVID globally. Even the senior pastors experience them evangelistically. Out of all this, the police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so here they come. Oh, yeah. They came. I would have loved, wouldn't you, to have listened in. Apologized to them. And then, almost sheepishly, took them out and asked them, leave the city. Ah, but you know, Paul, not so fast. What does he do? When they went out of the prison, they visited Lydia. Lydia. It was Lydia's home. It was the people there who had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She was the first to become a believer in Europe. And now he returns, and he's got still more believers, and he is now bringing together the beginnings of a church in Philippi. And so I can imagine Lydia, and now she lays a feast before him, probably a coconista. I had that last night. Slow cooked, braised beef, and tomato sauce with feta cheese. It's good. And Paul is saying it's good. But you see, He's got to be energized. He's got to have stamina. Because you check out the end of this chapter. They encouraged them. Paul did. He's still aching from the blows, of the floggings and likes. And then they departed. Departed? Where to? How to? They hit the Via Ignatia. Look what appears on the screen. The Via Ignatia was the main highway, east-west. And now, because Philippi was noted to being right there on the Via Ignatia, this story of evangelism would be heading both east and west simultaneously. You see, God sovereignly not only superintended in terms of timing, 
but also in terms of location. And as a result now, the word spreads quickly, back and forth, as he begins to make his way towards what they say in, in Greece as Thessaloniki. But he leaves behind a church. Look at the final scene. This, if you and I are with Rainey, and she's teaching you some important lessons with her Greek Testament open, points out that a century, two centuries plus later, there's a basilica, and here are the ruins of the basilica found in Philippi. You and I consider the surprising strategies that God uses, timing-wise, earthquakes, location on the Via Ignatia, a jailer, magistrates, everything turned upside down. But if your life has been turned upside down and you feel like you've been so confined, there's this young worship pastor who sings every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I'll say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, you give and take away. I spot the tear in his eyes. His newlyweds in heaven now. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. We end with this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's stand together. No matter what restraint people are experiencing right now, job-wise, ministry-wise, health-wise, relationally, blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is our attitude check. If COVID has produced our own Philippian jail experience, give us a song in the night. Allow our worship to be a witness. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And for this, we give you all the praise, all of it, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.